Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Welcome on this beautiful Friday, the final day of group stage play. Both G and H finished up. Actually went opposite there. H with the early matches, G with the later matches. I am Dave Denholm. I'm going to break it all down for you right here. Coming up, we'll have Max Bredos, the voice of LAFC, talking about uh, the U.S. and the Argent, or the bigger part in the U.S. and Netherlands game. We'll also talk with Pablo Alcina about the Argentina match coming up later as well in this show. But first, Group G, Group H, finishing up group play. H went first, and oh my goodness, the drama. The absolute drama. Portugal was already in. We know that. So they rested, what, nine players again? I think that's like the magic number of people who, these teams who are already through. I think all three of them made nine changes in their starting lineups. And uh, for Portugal, it looked like it was no problem against South Korea because Ricardo Horta got a goal in the fifth minute. Hey, you know, he's been coming off, or came off the bench for Portugal, not a regular starter, but Horta, and if that name sounds familiar, is the brother of Andre Horta, who formerly played with LAFC. They're both now at Braga in Portugal, and uh, Ricardo Horta gets his uh, World Cup goal in the fifth minute and didn't look good for South Korea. Uruguay, Derasqueta gets a goal in the 26th. They're flying. Then in the 32nd minute, Derasqueta gets another one for Uruguay, and they're up 2-0 over Ghana, and they're racing. But South Korea, 27th minute, they battle back with a goal. And then they wait, <laughs> keep it late. Uruguay was still leading 2 0. They were going through. South Korea was drawing with Portugal. And it looked like Uruguayans were going to avoid disaster. Ghana was pretty much done. If they would have gotten a draw, that could have been much more interesting. But they were, you know, two goals down and didn't really provide enough going forward against Uruguay, who, again, were kind of concerned that they might still need another goal. So it was a very open match, no doubt. But South Korea, and I had been saying really the whole tournament, Sun Young Min, who just really hadn't done much for me. And I kind of started thinking, oh, he's a Tottenham guy. He needs all that openness. He needs Harry Kane. He needs Tottenham beating on bad teams. Uh, yeah, you're wrong, Denholm. The best pass I've seen in a long, long time in football. He goes on a break, and it's still a lot of work to be done. It wasn't like it was two-on-one South Korea. The South Korean Huang Hee-chan had to make a long run behind him. Sun has to hold up the ball in traffic with a couple of defenders from Portugal really closing in on him because it's still 1-1. And, oh, my goodness, the pass. Like, picture-perfect split-second timing. Huang was clearly onside and finished with a plum on his first touch. And South Korea then had to sit there for like eight minutes after their match was done because Uruguay and Ghana went long in the first half in stoppage time. And they had to just painfully sit there. And Uruguay was just in agony trying to find another goal because if they scored again, they would be through on goal difference. As it stood, they were both equal on points, both equal on goal difference. But South Korea had scored more goals. That was the next tiebreaker. So Uruguay needed a goal and Ghana would not allow it. Uruguay gets the win, but they go home. Back to South America, 2-0 over Ghana, 2-1 South Korea beats Portugal, which they had to do anyway, and they get through on the goal-scored tiebreaker. Wow, and it was amazing, amazing scenes. In that. And then Uruguay just went nuts, right, because then they started going after the refs because there was some penalties and questionable calls and VAR, which is hot garbage anyway. As you know how I feel, VAR is a disgrace to the game, doesn't really solve as much as people think. And, uh, yeah, but Uruguay felt undone by that. Well, Ghana won't lose any sleep after what happened in the 2010 World Cup with Luis Suarez, who then was 
obviously in a lot of agony from for Uruguay missing out. Tough break there. South Korea deserved it. Portugal was, you know, the best team in the group. They got their two wins early and then rested players. And feel, got to feel, still feel good about winning that group, which turned out to be very tricky, needless to say. I mean, when your last place team, Ghana, has three points, still got to win and really just were another, you know, a result away from likely going through themselves. I mean, it's a tough group. Tricky group, I'll say. Maybe not the toughest, because I don't think Uruguay was very good throughout, you know, these three games. At least not not outstanding by any means. And South Korea, while they deserve to move forward, I mean, they're going to have their hands full with Brazil. As who That's who they'll play coming up on Monday as the two coming out of Group H. The earlier group, I guess the Group G, which is in front of H, but it's actually played later on the day. Cameroon saw a Brazilian side that rotated nine players for Chite because uh, Brazil had won the group, right? Chite decides to make nine changes. Brazil is already not, they're not clinching the group in terms of winning the group, but they're already through, so they don't mind. But Cameroon, Vincent Abubakar with a late goal, 92nd minute, kind of kept a minute, but Switzerland... Really, I got to tell you, Switzerland really impressed me. Not because of the way they played necessarily, although they had a good game against Serbia. It was back and forth, but what impressed me was Switzerland gets on front from a Chicago Fire midfielder, Jardin Shakiri's goal in the 20th. Serbia looks like, well, they're just having a miserable tournament. They're only on one point. They need a win here. They get down early, but boy, did they bounce back. Mitrovic with a great header just six minutes later than Dusan Vlaovic with a beautiful goal in the 35th minute, and all of a sudden, Serbia's cruising 2-1. The, the group is on its head because if Cameroon can find a win and all the scores stay the same, they would go through. But then Briel and Bolo late in the first half on a beautiful setup goal by Switzerland. And some of the best football I've seen in this tournament have been played by Switzerland and Serbia. Not just in this match, even. Some of the goals that these teams have scored, the setups. And then early in the second half, Froehler with another great team move puts the goal away in the 48th minute, and then it just no more goals. It was like it, everything froze up, tension, whatever. I mean, teams needed to score, but they just couldn't find a way, and Switzerland wins. They go through on six points, but they are one goal behind Brazil in the goal difference, so the Brazilians do hang on to win the group, and they will play South Korea, as I mentioned, and uh, Portugal will now take on Switzerland in the uh, Group G and H matchups there. 1v2, Portugal winning their group. So Switzerland does get through. Switzerland are very difficult. I got to give credit, uh, a little bit of credit to Serbia. Yes, they came in last in the group, and they deserved it. Cameroon was better, in my opinion, overall. They ended up on four points, just missing out. Serbia, though, that's a pretty darn tough group because that's a good team with one point in this group. Serbia can play. And just about score with anybody, against anybody in this tournament. They're very good. Now, they didn't deserve it. Minus three goal difference. Only got one point. They were the worst team in the group. But that's a tough group. If Serbia is struggling that badly and Cameroon just barely misses out, those are tough teams. So that was a very, very good group. And Switzerland fully deserved it. They're going to be difficult to beat. I don't know. That Portugal-Switzerland matchup. That is tight as a drum in the round of 16. We do now know the round of 16. We'll go over those. Of course, the Netherlands, U.S., Argentina, Australia coming up tomorrow. We'll have more conversation on that with Max Bredas, Pablo Alcina. We'll be breaking that down later on the show. And then on Sunday, France, Poland, England, 
Yeah, taking on Senegal. So that's going to be an interesting little matchup. Then finally, now we know Monday is Japan-Croatia, we knew, but then Brazil and South Korea on Monday in the later game. And then Tuesday has Morocco and Spain and Portugal-Switzerland. So everything to play for now. Here we go. These are the 16 teams. And I got to say, if you really look back, and I know this is easy to say now, no kidding, Denholm, but these teams deserve it. These are the these are the teams that really deserve to, to go through. Now, I'm not saying the traditional powers or there weren't upsets, quote-unquote, in people's minds. Yeah, that happens. That always happens. But these teams earn this. I mean, you can always say, well, Australia, they've won two games. Picked up more points than just about anybody else. Well, most anybody else, right, along the way. So, yeah, they deserve it. No question they deserve it, but also getting two wins in the World Cup is tough in your group play. So kudos to them, everybody. I mean, and if I had to rank the teams or whatever by chance of, yeah, Australia's the longest of shots. You're playing Argentina in the first you know, round of 16, no doubt. But everybody else, everybody else, wide open. Wide open. I know you're going to say, well, Poland and France, yeah. And look, I've been down on Poland from what I've seen, but you do still have weapons there. You do still have Robert Lewandowski. You do still have guys who can get you on the counterattack. Swiderski, Frankowski, a lot of good, you know, attacking, counterattacking talent. Now, France is going to be tough to beat, make no mistake. And there are, there are teams that are certainly the underdogs in some of these games. But, boy, anybody can move on in this tournament. Anyone. And that's just the beauty of it. It really is. Because, really, that's what pretty much, other than maybe Qatar, and, you know, in terms of, Game by game and the way the games flow, just about anybody could have beaten anybody else in virtually every match. And you know what else I noticed? We always talk about teams and their depth, right? Oh, Brazil, they're so loaded. Brazil's C team could beat your... No, not true. We now have three of the best teams in the tournament who won their first two games, deservedly so, and decided to rest a boatload of players in the third game. Which, by the way, in my opinion, is their right. Some people say, oh, you should play your best 11 to make it fair. No, take care of your business in the first two games. And if someone does that, they got every right to rest whoever they want in the third match. Tough. That's the way the, the schedule goes. I don't care. Take care of your business yourself. You win your first two matches, then you can rest everybody you want. It's just the way it should be. But... Three of the best teams in this tournament, right? Brazil, Portugal, France. Those were the three who were able to do that. And they all lost. Rotating, what, eight, nine players, nine players. They all lost. That means the French B team is not anywhere near as good as you thought it was. Or the Brazilian national team. The the second, this is not the B team, this is a second string it's not even the B team. These are still your top 20 Brazilian players in, the, you know, in the, all of Brazil. That's amazing. And Cameroon went with them toe-to-toe and beat them. And Tunisia. And South Korea. So it just shows you more and more how much talent there is all over the world playing. And that's why I love the World Cup. Because anything can happen. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it does. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, his love for the game of uh, football is beautiful. Max Bredos will join us next. It's Road to the Cup. Dave Denholm here on ESPN LA.
Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Welcome back. Dave Dunn home with you each and every Monday through Friday. Plus, we're going to have a special edition, by the way, on the big day, the final day of the World Cup on that Sunday, the 19th. Joining me now, friend of the show, of course, the voice of LAFC and the host of the Soccer OG World Cup Daily Podcast. You know him, you love him, Max Bredos. Max, another big day wrapping up group play the later games, not as dramatic, although some stuff on the line. But boy, the early games, seeing South Korea effectively get through against uh, Portugal and then Uruguay, who had a nice game against Ghana, but it wasn't enough, man. That was pandemonium, Max, earlier in the day. Well, uh, well Dave, just you saying that the later games not as dramatic is just a testament to the high bar that has been set because the later games <laughs> are pretty good. And there were some moving parts, but I'm sure we can talk about it later. But I, I got to paint the picture for you this uh, this morning. So um, my wife uh, is from a Korean family. My mother-in-law lives with us. And uh, she couldn't get up for the earlier games. It was too early. It was at 2 a.m. was at 5 a.m. She told her at 7 a.m. and explained it to us. We're all sitting here, and everyone's cheering and high-fiving. And when that goal went in, embracing and jumping up and down, it was a, it was a wonderful moment that I hope we can all – Enjoy. So obviously, celebrating with the U.S., I got to do it uh, for my adopted team, uh, Korea, and uh, to see them go through. Uh, they deserved it. I mean, they just much like uh, Japan. Those teams that are in the round of sixteen deserve it. They they apply pressure. They they don't bow down to these so-called superior opponents. I mean, it was Portugal. They rested a couple players, but it's still this amazing team. And uh, for them to to find a way through. Uh, with uh, a, a goal, uh, uh, Huang he Chan, who played his first World Cup game. He's been injured, and he finally gets a pass. I was watching Sung Hyung Min. He wouldn't pass the ball. He was trying to do hero ball, and then he finally passes it, and he hits this incredible nutmeg pass to Huang, who puts that away. And then obviously what happened with Uruguay, which, which is very, very bizarre, because firstly, three – Three penalty decisions or not lack of penalty decisions that are all very controversial and all uh, affected uh, Uruguay. I mean, oh, they were they got the short end of the stick there. I, and I would question at least two of those decisions, uh, certainly the one that was awarded and the one that wasn't. And then the meltdown with VAR. I mean, Uruguay have to behave better, but I certainly could uh, uh, understand their displeasure uh, as this uh, – as that result comes through. And then Ghana, you know, out of the World Cup, but celebrating a little bit because they got revenge. They got to knock out Uruguay <laughs> indirectly and get revenge for 2010. Yeah, it was an amazing group, no doubt about it. All those storylines Max just outlined were happening in seconds, it seemed, at the, as those games ended. And the interesting thing was Uruguay and Ghana, the first half stoppage time was so much longer than Korea and uh, Portugal. South Korea wins that game. They've got to wait like seven minutes to see if Uruguay gets another yeah, goal. Wait, That's wait. all it would have taken was another goal for Uruguay. Because- Dave, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you think? Because I was thinking that's an unfair advantage, because now Ghana and Uruguay have seven minutes of uh, intellectual information that they know this game is over. Do you? Can you wait for? Or no. can you delay the kickoff of the Korea game like five six minutes? No. No. I just thought it was because- weird. It's obviously a weird dynamic. Only because, Max, that gives uh, too much of an advantage. Not an advantage, but too much rest 
for the teams that have yeah, to win. You can't win. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't win. You're right. I mean, there's a little bit of I mean, back and forth in both. I think it's I think it's certainly a good idea how they switched it to when they you both have to play at the same time because we all well not all of us most of us don't but some of us remember <laughs> West Germany and Austria so you can't have them playing at the same time uh, but yeah, I don't think you can push it too much in terms of waiting. Uh, also, a little tidbit: Andre Horta's brother, former LAFC man Andre Horta, his brother <laughs> got the first goal for Portugal. He's having a really magnificent season with his brother on the team at Braga in Portugal. Ricardo Horta, who is a, a, a Portuguese, kind of a backup, but he gets in and starts this one because Portugal did make all those changes. Max, let me ask you, we're talking with Max Bredos. He hosts the Soccer OG World Cup Daily Podcast. He's the voice of LAFC as well. As you look and you said, they, they deserve it, and indeed they do. South Korea, with a nice win, gets on the, gets, uh, or goes ahead of Uruguay on goals scored, and uh, they're going to take on you know, frankly, they don't care, but it's Brazil. And, you know, but just the magnitude of getting to the round of 16, really for any team that's not like a superpower European side or Brazil or Argentina, I mean, it's still a ma- massive accomplishment for any of these countries, right? I, absolutely. And uh, three Asian teams make the round of 16. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's something you hang your hat on for that confederation for years and years to come. With Korea, Japan, and Australia. I know people go in Australia, but Australia did move to the Asian Confederation to their uh, to their benefit because uh, they are getting much better competition than their their former confederation. I'll say this: uh, we uh, we we fall in awe of all these top teams, and when we we yell out our team favorites, as everyone says, Argentina, Brazil, and France, and Spain, and I think what we've seen is that the top and the bottom is not a big gap, and even Brazil today, watching them play. They, we said they're so deep. They could field two teams. Well, they can't because their no. second team lost to Cameroon. So when Neymar is injured and then you start getting down your pecking order, and France too. France played a lot of their reserves against Tunisia, and they lost. So these aren't isolated incidents. So these teams that think, that, hey, we can throw anybody in there, we have backups. No, you can't. It's You've still got to keep it close to your vest. So that evens the playing field out a little bit. Uh, obviously, you'll, you'll still have a much better bench. Uh, but if there's an injury concern with the French, for instance, then that's a problem. But I think Korea has a shot against Brazil uh, based on what we've seen. And Brazil haven't scored a lot of goals. Obviously, the Neymar situation and Korea, you know, they back from the dead. I mean, they were they were last place in the group. That goal moved them from fourth to second. And now they are just living a charmed life. So uh, it's uh, if Neymar can't play, I mean, everyone says, yeah, they got I don't know, the, the, the options outside of Neymar are not as good as people are telling you, it's not true. Lucas Paqueta moving up or Rodrigo is not giving you what Neymar has. So there is, I think, all these knockout games, maybe with the exception of Argentina, Australia, but far be it for me to say that. Uh, I'm not underestimating those Aussies. I think they're going to be competitive just based on the World Cup we have seen. Probably more competitive than we've ever had. Uh, in the history of this tournament. Oh, I love to hear that. I love talking uh, football with Max Bredos, talking the World Cup here on Road to the Cup. Max, let's take a look at that U.S.-Netherlands game specifically. I know you've been studying it, of course. You uh, you know follow, obviously, all the teams, but the USA, we've, we've loved what we've seen out of the United States. Uh, I'm not saying that the Netherlands ooh, are so susceptible that it's going to be a walk. This is an even matchup to me, though, Max. If the United States comes in with their heads on straight. And by that, I mean, don't give Netherlands too much respect and continue to play your game, and the U.S. will be fine. I agree with you. This is really – I was looking at the, the Vegas line, and they have it like at 350, which is a pretty decent size underdog. 
But I, I, I mean, if I was a gambler, I would kind of hit on that because I just don't see the separation. This is a, a, a Dutch team that has uh, concerns. They have no bench. I mean, when they bring Vincent Janssen off the bench, Vincent Janssen was playing at month at A and couldn't score goals in Liga MX, and he's like their first striker off the bench. And I guess there's the Netherlands are going to get to be a good team, but they're in the midst of a cycle that they're they're just yeah. not as I think the U.S. are talented in a lot of positions. I'd take our goalkeeper, maybe take our fullbacks, probably take two of the three midfielders. Frankie De Jong is probably the better, the probably the best player in the midfield for either team. And uh, they're really lucky to have Cody Gakpo, who's really come out of somewhere, somewhat nowhere, to be their offensive force. Memphis Depay looks a step slow, so I, I really like our guys. Uh, it's it doesn't mean they're going to win it. I mean, a lot of things have to fall their way, but they uh, if they approach it the right way. I, it, what's interesting to me is neither team has trailed in this competition, so whoever scores first is going to be feeling really good about themselves. But even if the U.S. trail, I mean, they have depth. I mean, they have a few things in their pocket. The Gio Reyna not playing is an ace up your sleeve because that's a, a world-class guy you can use and you can go in a lot of different directions with what, what you have on their bench. And, and they, they look at the injury concerns. Christian Pulisic has been amazing. He sh- his injury record is long, and yet he's going to play despite taking that huge blow against Iran. And Weston McKinney wasn't 100%. For so- Mysteriously, he's 100% now. So health-wise and everything, it's really pointing. So this, I, I, I want to say a coin flip, but almost coin flip leaning towards the U.S., which sounds crazy. And I'm not the kind of guy to say U.S. is going to win just because we're having this conversation. I, I thought they were going to lose to England, and I predicted that. I don't, I, my prediction here is they're going to win this game. And it's going to be a grind, but they're going to win it. Very interesting stuff. Max brought us the voice of LAFC, the Soccer OG World Cup Daily podcast host as well, joining us here on Road to the Cup. Max, one final thing as we look at the United States, for me, my final question is, who would you start in this match? Start. Now, I know, of course, we know how uh, you know football matches flow, and we could have extra time, even another 30 minutes, so benches are important. But who are your starting 11 for this match for the U.S.? Uh well, Matt Turner is obviously being goal. The back four is going to remain the same. I think with Greg Berhalter integrating Cameron Carter-Vickers, and as, as good as he looks, you keep him there with Tim Ream. Because what I like about those two, they're different center backs. I love Walker Zimmerman, but he, he has a lot of similar traits to Tim Ream in some ways. Not the fact that they look a lot alike with the, the bun, but Cameron Carter-Vickers is a little more muscle and a little more athleticism, so it's uh, uh, and younger too, which is good. Not that Zimmerman's an old man. Dest and Anthony Robinson, obviously. The midfield remains the same with McKinney, Adams, and Musa. If Josh Sargent's available, he plays. Uh, if Greg Berhalter didn't seem all that optimistic that he was going to play. So maybe this is your ch- – I know they don't want to play Gio Rayner, one of these guys at the number nine, but maybe this is your chance to incorporate him. And what a wrinkle that would be against this Dutch team. I think Jesus Fedeta is obviously a really good other option. Uh, but – when Sargent was playing against Ivan, he would drift out wide. So there wasn't really a true center forward. So maybe there's a, a blueprint there with how the U.S. can kind of play here. And I know they've a couple times dropped to a 4-4-2 for a little stretch in the game, which could accommodate Gio Reyna too. So I think that's a really big spot, but which has got to keep uh, Louis van Hall and the Netherlands guessing. But if something, hopefully Sargent's ready to go. But if he's not, maybe that's the spot for Gio. 
it would it would be a great story to wake up to tomorrow morning and see uh, maybe boost the chances for the United States. And you can even move Tim Weah inside to the false nine and have Reyna out sure. of the wing if you want. You know, go that route if that's play some head inside, games, you know. Dave. Play some head yeah. games with Van Hall. They keep yeah. him guessing. Keep him on his yeah. toes. You're right, because he's the better manager. As much as I think Greg Berhalter yeah. takes a lot of grief, uh, I like Greg Berhalter, but Louis Von Hall has the managerial uh, advantage, certainly, so anything you can do there. Max sure. Bredos, voice of LAFC in the Soccer OG World Cup Daily Podcast. Check that out. Max, as always, thank you so much for taking the time, buddy. Love talking for you with you, Dave. It's uh, always time well spent. Have a good one. You got it. Max Bredos joining us here. It's Road to the Cup coming up. We'll talk more about the U.S., Netherlands, and Argentina, Australia next, right here on ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you as we march on with one of our favorites. He's Pablo Alcina. Does the pre- and post-game shows on a, for Telemundo Deportes on a Peacock streaming there. Pablo, thank you for taking the time, buddy. Here we go. Huge Saturday Coming up, we'll start with your beloved Argentina as they take on Australia. You said they were going to win that group, and they did, and they get a good matchup here. But as we all know, Pablo, you never know what happens in the round of 16. How are you feeling going into this matchup? First of all, my beloved USA also plays tomorrow, so I'm going to be nervous <laughs> from the morning. I have the pre, I have a one-hour pregame show on Peacock called Terraza al Mundial talking about USA. Then I'm going to watch that game, and then I have a two-hour pre-post and pre-game show for Argentina, so my nerves will be a wreck. But Dave, remember what I told you, you'll be calling me. Argentina's going to win the group. All we have to do is win the next two and advance in first. We won the next two and we advanced in first. And now all we need is four more wins in a row to be world champs. Destiny, it's all lining up. The greatest ever, Lionel Messi, is going to put the final crown to his majestic, magisterial, like Ray Hudson would say, career. And Argentina is going to be World Cup champs. And I'm saying it. And for all of you listening, if you say it and see it, it will happen. And that's what I believe is happening with this Argentina team. And we're also getting some breaks facing Australia. It's not an easy out. Australia defends well. They're going to be defending with nine the whole game and hoping uh, for that one counterattack. But of all the round of 16 matches, this is perfect for Argentina. But the only thing that scares me, Dave, only two days rest. No Di Maria. He picked up an injury. He's so key to Argentina. And now another World Cup injury for Di Maria. I hate seeing that. Only two days rest for Lionel Messi. Still the greatest in the world. But hey, Age doesn't lie, and he is 34 years old, so I have to see how messy will be. But I have faith in the young kids. McAllister came in in the last game, and so Fernandez came in. Julian Alvarez came in. These are young, cracking athletes that wanted their chance in the lineup, and they delivered in spades. So now we just got to beat Australia. They, the key is score that first goal, and I think Argentina will just walk away with it, win easily. But got to get that first goal. If Australia scores first, they're going to defend with 11, 11 the whole rest of the game. Yeah, some very good stuff there from Pablo Alcina, of course. He is a, uh Argentine, and he's a diehard Argentina and U.S. fan, of course, working. And we remember Pablo, of course, uh, all over L.A. He's a superstar. He's now a, a, a big shot working uh, with the Telemundo Deportes with that Terraza. Mundial on, uh, that I love watching on Peacock. I do have Peacock for all my soccer needs, so it was fun to see you on there, Pablo. I appreciate that and appreciate you taking the time here on Road to the Cup. Break it down a little bit further how you've seen Argentina. Forget the uh, Saudi Arabia game. We've talked about that one. It was a stubbing of the toe. It's the first match. It happens. 
How have has Argentina kind of developed as the tournament's gone along as a team for you? Well, the biggest issue with me is Depot has been really bad, and this was a key to Argentina. He hasn't gotten much playing time for Atletico Madrid, but with Argentina, 36 wins in a row, he wasn't good against Saudi Arabia. He wasn't good against Mexico. He wasn't good against Poland. He's got to start playing better, and I, I believe so. I think now it's now round the 16. He needs to be a lot better. He can't have sloppy turnovers. Now, the scoring against Saudi Arabia, we should have routed them. They played the off, offside trap perfectly, didn't get those goals. Saudi Arabia took two shots and made both. Poland had zero shots on goal, and Mexico had one shot on goal. So in the entire uh, group phase, Argentina only had three shots on goal. So I loved how the back line's playing. Scaloni, uh, different than other Argentine managers in World Cups past, he keeps the four in the back, mostly back. Acuna makes some runs. But they stay organized in the back. They don't go all out. And this Argentina team can go all out with everybody. If you can score with Messi, with now Di Maria out, but you still have plenty of goal scorers, um, that's fine. We'll take our chances with the four up top. No need to attack with nine. So beautiful play by Scaloni. The defense has been extremely solid. Our goalkeeper is great. If we go to PKs, I'll have Dibu going up against anybody. I love that there. So I really like how Argentina's played. People criticize Argentina because they, they want to see 6-0 games. But I look at the game as a whole. If other teams are not shooting on you, then that's great. Yeah. That's great play. Mexico, everybody's saying Mexico should have attacked Argentina. Well, they wouldn't, and they couldn't, because if they would have, they would have lost 5 nothing. And with what Mexico tried to do, they only had one shot on goal. So how can you criticize how Argentina's playing if they're not giving up shots on goal? So unlike everybody else, after that first game, I was calm. And after the second game, I was calmer. And then after the third, now I am, I am on a high. So where is Australia going to get shots with just one guy alone up top? That's not going to work. So Australia is going to try to attack with two, three, four people. If you do that against Argentina, you will get destroyed. The only team I fear, Dave, the only team, there were two teams I fear, two. France and Germany, and Germany's gone. So I'm already smiling. I'm already happy. And if we face France, it'd be in the in the World Cup final. Let the best team win. But Argentina can beat any team. I don't fear. I don't fear um, uh, Netherlands if it gets past USA. I don't fear USA as much as I like USA. And I don't even fear Brazil because Brazil dominated Argentina in the Copa America final. And who won? Argentina won because they're playing smarter soccer. They're not trying to beat you with glitz. They're just going to beat you. And the point of soccer is to win the game, score more goals than the other team. And I love how solid they've been in the back. Just the midfield and Depol, baby, stop turning the ball over. Can't have that, and Argentina should be home free. But I want to see USA win because I have to see USA-Argentina because if Argentina gets knocked out of the World Cup by the Americans, I'll be the first one to cheer and be extremely happy. It'd be the greatest thing for soccer in the United States. It would still hurt me. I'd probably still cry, but it wouldn't hurt that bad if we lose to USA. (laughs) That's why I love him. That was awesome, Pablo. I'm going to leave it on that. That is fantastic. I'm rooting for Argentina because of this man. Of course, I want the USA-Argentina matchup, and I hope I do make Pablo cry a little bit when the U.S. moves on. But we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, all in good fun, and I love it. 
Pablo Alcina, one of our, our good buddies, and we love him. Uh, check out the pre and post. Can I get work. the shameless plug? Yes, check it Dave, out. Just let me add one more. I began my career four years at Gold TV, 2006 to 2010. So I used to call Lionel Messi, a young Messi's goals. And, and I thought for sure Argentina is going to win lots of World Cup titles with this stud. And these amazing memories he gave me as a young play-by-play announcer getting to call messy games along with Ray Hudson and now to see him at 34 still have this one final chance I absolutely love it I'll have the pre-game show before the USA the show's called Terraza al Mundial and the post-game show La Tribuna del Mundial on Peacock Network thank you Dave and hopefully it's USA Argentina oh I love this man and I love his I love his line of thinking Pablo as always thanks so much for taking the time brother we love you thanks Dave go USA once again, thanks to our good buddy Pablo Alcina. Great stuff. Check out his pre and post game work. You just heard him talk about it on Telemundo De- for Telemundo Deportes, I should say, that airs on Peacock, streaming on Peacock. And by the way, if you if you love football, check out Peacock. You can you know I'm not getting paid by him. This is not an advertisement, but I uh, signed up for it just for the football. And uh, yeah, Pablo does a great job there as well. So much fun. Oh man, I can't wait. He's got me pumped up. Doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. But I like his thinking. I like where his head's at. He knows that the Netherlands are certainly going to be a tough task for the U.S., no question about it, and vice versa. The U.S. are going to give the Netherlands all they can handle. The better team's going to go out and win, and they'll figure it out. I agree with him that Australia is the decided underdog of the round of 16. Tough matchup for them with Argentina. But And Pablo's not wrong when he says that you know Australia's going to find themselves, you know, Nine, ten men behind the ball, but that's going to be so difficult to then break down Argentina that way. It's going to be tough. Australia's going to have to play the perfect match in the round of 16, but all of that to play for tomorrow. We'll talk more about it coming up in the next segment, and we'll have stoppage time still to come. Thanks so much again to Pablo Alcina. Appreciate that. This is the Road to the Cup. I am Dave Denholm, and you are listening to ESPNLA. This is Road to the Cup on ESPNLA. Dave Denholm with you. As we move on to the knockout round, a round of 16 begins tomorrow. Once again, we have the shows Monday through Friday, so we want to talk about it today. But uh, yeah, I'll be on Twitter, at TalkSoccer, throughout the weekend, if that's easy for you. Follow me there, at TalkSoccer. Don't forget, though, by the way, if you miss any of these interviews with Max or with Pablo, you can uh, you can hit up the podcasts, wherever you pod. Find them there or go to the ESPNLA app. It's so easy. All the podcasts are living there as well. There's a button there you can click for Road to the Cup. has a beautiful graphic, everything there on the ESPNLA app. We appreciate that as well. Well, these are the big ones coming up tomorrow for us, certainly the early ones, 7 a.m. It's United States and Netherlands, and I've been asking people about it. Now it's time for me to get on the record with this. Look, I do like the matchup as well. I don't think it's uh, one of those where the Netherlands are so strong, and look out, they're one of the clear-cut favorites to win the tournament. Certainly they could go a long way. They could win it. But I think it just about anybody could right now. And I think the U.S. is one of those teams as well. The United States midfield has been playing spectacularly. The defense has done a great job. Now, what I want to see, and I don't want to see it anytime soon, mind you, but what I want to see is when another team, how how a team like coached like by Louis Van Gaal, who's one of the best, how he reacts now having you know seen three games of tape of how the U.S. is playing in this tournament. You, you can watch all the friendlies you want. You can even go back and, you know, watch World Cup qualifiers. If you, but it's not the same thing. It's not. 
here is where it matters. So now Louis Von Hall's had three games to dissect of what the United States is doing. Now, again, so do we. And there are some ways I think we can hurt the Netherlands. One of them is through the midfield. I don't think Frank de Jong is playing that great, quite frankly. He's everywhere, and he is the kind of the the main string puller for this Netherlands side, but he's beatable. And he's definitely stoppable. And if anybody can do it, it's our midfield. So I like the matchup here. Again, my biggest concern is where are the goals going to come from against Virgil van Dijk and Nathan Ake? Where is that going to happen? Down the middle of that field. Now, the United States can be very successful on the wings with Serginho Dest. No question. You know, getting up and down to the right side and Anthony Anthony Robinson on the left side. Jedi. Yeah, absolutely. But you still also have to have some danger in the middle of the park, right? Right in the middle of the 18. If Virgil van Dijk and Ake have just like a walk in the park kind of day, then the United States is going to lose. How do we put pressure on them? How do we sustain pressure? Get chances. And of course, then you got to finish. Everybody, you know, that's no kidding, Denholm, but... How do the United States, more important, how do you just sustain that pressure and get chances against a team like the Netherlands, especially if we were to fall down a goal? Again, that's concerning for any team, but I obviously we haven't seen that with the United States, so how do they react to this kind of thing? I like the mentality of this team. I'm not too worried about them losing their way that way. doesn't mean they won't get beat. doesn't mean the Netherlands may not beat them up. Maybe the Netherlands are just better than the United States in these in this matchup tomorrow, right? Maybe they just have a better day, but maybe the U.S. does. Everything to play for between these two teams for me. It is that tough to call. But Cody Gakpo is the hot scorer, and the United States doesn't really have one. I mean, Christian Pulisic's having a fine tournament. He's not a striker. I know Gakpo isn't really either, but he's the hot hand, if you will. Goal in each game. Do you continue to ride that? Or do you take a chance that, and say that the United States will find a way? Now, they're certainly there for the U.S. But again, I would love to see Jesus Ferreira. And I know I'm not going to probably see that. And I don't even know if that would be the right move now. Right? Here in the round of 16, is that really the right move? I know Josh Sargent might be injured, can't go, so you'll have to come up with something. I don't want to see Haji Wright Wright again, though. I don't think he's earned it. Do you? So that's where I'm kind of conflicted. Right? Because I don't want to see Haji Wright get another opportunity. Sorry. Yeah, maybe coming off the bench, I guess, depending on the situation, if you need a goal or you're throwing bodies forward, I guess he'd be still in the mix. But, boy, he did not impress me. Especially when you're trying to kill off a game against Iran. Just wasn't there. So I don't know. Again, I don't know if it's too much to just uh, Jesus Ferrer. Maybe you have to you know, sweep Tim Weah into the middle as a false nine. And then it becomes, is it Brandon Aronson? Is it Gio Reyna? Are you worried about Reyna holding up for full 90? Maybe you go with Brandon Aronson starting out wide. Get that energy against the Netherlands. And then he almost becomes like that. The midfield for the United States have been just absolute bulldogs, right? They're just terrors in the midfield. Aronson goes right along with that. He's he's no uh, you know shrinking violet either when it comes to defending and giving energy and then going forward and attacking. 
if I'm uh, Greg Berhalter and Sargent can't go, like, at 100%, not even, like, if he can still play, if he's not 100%, which I don't know how he could be after that injury, but he may, you know, maybe it wasn't as bad as it looked. If Josh Sargent is not 100%, and this is no disrespect to Sargent, because if he is 100%, I would start him. If he's not 100%, that's the way I go. I swing, I move Tim Way into the middle, and Aronson goes outside. And again, those are interchangeable at times too, right? You can just have Aronson come inside, Way go back out, try to get that speed involved up and down that wing. And of course, Pulisic on the left seems like he's going to be able to go. That's how I would line up. In the back, and I asked Max Bredas earlier, he had his opinion about Cameron Carter-Vickers coming, you know, staying in. I think I would as well. And I, I'm not the guy who jumped down Walker Zimmerman's throat for giving up a penalty. That doesn't matter. That happens. The greatest defender in the history of the game gave up several penalties in his career. It happens. You don't want it to happen, of course, especially in the World Cup, the old world stage. But it did, and Walker Zimmerman rebounded perfectly. In the next game, and then the game after that coming in as a sub even, and was brilliant finishing off Iran. So I'm fine if he goes back to Walker Zimmerman. I would probably start Cameron Carter-Vickers again for the speed and kind of just, you know, just as big, kind of just as intimidating in terms of size. Not height, but just a build, you know. Memphis Depay is not a small man. If he's up front, he's, he is a tough Tough guy physically, too. And I think Carter Vickers can handle it, too, as well as Walker Zimmer. I'm fine with either one, pairing up with Tim Ream right now in the middle of defense, but I would probably stay with Cameron Carter Vickers as well. So that's where I'm at. Let's bring on the great Mario Rees. It is time for stoppage time. Mario, how you doing, buddy? Dave, kind of bittersweet, man. I mean, it's the, the round of 16 is on. Yeah. The knockout stages is here, but... You know, from now on, we don't have four games. We don't have as many games. We only got two uh, tomorrow. And it's true. But at least we can focus. And we've only had two time slots lately, right? True. You just kind of had to be torn between two games, which is amazing because yeah. of all the drama. But now it's like, you're right. If a game turns into a dud, you know, there's nowhere to go. You're right. So we, we want all that drama here in the round of 16. Mario, let's get it out of the way first, and then we'll get to stoppage time. You like the U.S.'s chances? I'm not going to put you on the spot for any kind of prediction or anything, but do you like the U.S.'s chances against the Netherlands? Well, it com- comes down to our defense, and our defense has been solid. So if you have a defense like that, that back yeah. line will give you a chance in any match against almost anybody. So I'm feeling yeah. pretty good. Uh, maybe some some extra time here I'm feeling in this match, and we'll see. We'll see what happens oh. uh, when we get to there. I don't know if I can handle that. Holy cow. Well, we have a quick minute for stoppage time. Let's get right to it. Mario, what do you got? Dave, now that the group stage is over, it's coming gone, which team uh, has impressed you the most in the group stage? Yeah, you know, we were talking about this. It's not necessarily the best team, but honestly, a team like Switzerland, they're just very good, and they're kind of unheralded a lot. They're not even, even though they're a European team, they're not thought of as like, a powerhouse. They've never made that deep run in the World Cup, or at least, you know. And I, I just have been very impressed with them. I know they're, you know, opening up and giving up a goal or two every now and again. It happens. But, boy, they do not hang their heads. They don't worry about anything. They can play with anybody in their mind. I really have enjoyed what they've brought to the tournament. And also, you know, just for the grit and determination, Japan, to lose to Costa Rica, right? And no disrespect to Costa Rica. It was a good match, but... Japan beats 
Spain and Germany to get through. I mean, that is amazing. And I, I just love that. Those are the kind of stories that you love to see. Certainly all the great talent is there, and they're going to be fun to watch. But I really love that. Hey, great stuff, Mario. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Check me out on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. This is Road to the Cup on ESPN LA.